Well, good morning. Glad to see you guys all here today. Nice day. Nice day today. <laughs> I think it's supposed to get a little warmer. You guys are down for that, right? Goodness gracious. All right. Well, we are um, in the book of Numbers today, starting a whole brand new book. And uh, I'm going to do the introduction to it this morning. And then Dad's going <clears> to <throat> get us going in chapter 2. Uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And we thank you so much, Lord God, for your holy word, uh, Father, and for preserving it for us, Lord, and for keeping it for us, Father, so that we could have it uh, in our hands, Lord, to this very day uh, from the long days past, Lord, and, and uh, to receive that same word, Father, from you that you gave to Moses, Lord, at, on Mount Sinai, Father, and we can read those words and, uh, Lord, all the truth and the depth and the meaning that it still has for our lives today, Father, and how we can see ourselves uh, Lord, represented in the children of Israel in so many different ways, Father. And we pray that you would help us to take our lessons, Lord, from their mistakes, uh, and also, Lord, from the things that they did right, uh, Lord, and then also to take joy, Father, from all of the ways that Jesus Christ is represented, uh, Lord, in the way that you worked with Israel in days, in days past, Father. Uh, and that everything that you were doing, Father, was pointing to that day uh, when a son would be born. Uh, a child will be born, a son will be given, uh, Lord, and then, and, then, and then we can still look forward, future tense, Lord, to the day when the government will be on his shoulders. We're all uh, excited about that, Lord. And we ask and pray, Father, as we study your word this morning, that you would write these truths that we're going to learn about today, Lord, on the tablets of our hearts, and we would take encouragement from it, Father, and that you would just build up and, uh, our faith, Lord, and, and our understanding of your word through the study of this book. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so the book of Numbers uh, begins, chapter 1 and verse 1, right off the bat, the Lord spoke to Moses uh, in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. So now we move uh, from the account that we have in uh, Leviticus where the Lord was speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, giving him all of the laws and the regulations that pertain to the ruling of the nation itself, how they were to be governed and how they were to live their lives day to day, the way that they were to conduct themselves, and then also uh, the way that they were to worship him, the prescribed methods, the prescribed ways, the prescribed sacrifices that God was very detailed about in the way in which they must worship him in the tabernacle and future tents in the temple it was going to be. But for now, God is explaining to Moses, to the people through Moses, this is how I want to be worshipped. This is how I must be worshipped. This is what I require of your hand. And this is what I require of your lives. Uh, if you're going to be my children and I'm going to be your God, these are the things that I'm putting in place for you to live your lives by. And it was very important. It, it, was to, it was supposed to consume every aspect of their lives. He talks about, talk with your children about it as you sit at the table, as you rise, and when you go to sleep at night, when you walk along the way, talk about these things. Have these things on your mouth. 
you know, be thinking about these things, be contemplating about these things. God didn't want this to simply be a religion. He literally wanted it to be a way of life. This was a theocracy. This was literally a nation ruled by God. Now, there had been, there, there, well, I should say there was going to be nations, future tense, whose leaders were going to claim to be God. And I guess past Nimrod was kind of like that too in ancient Babylon. But there, there, there was plenty of people who were going to come on the scene and claim to be God. You guys all know the story of uh, Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and the children of Israel are in exile in Babylon and he builds the giant golden statue. Remember, uh, he had had the dream of the statue of various metals and the first was gold, the head was of gold and Daniel had told him when he interpreted that dream that that gold head represents your kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon, O king, this great and mighty kingdom. But then there was kingdoms that were going to come after that. Well, Nebuchadnezzar didn't agree with that, with that interpretation. So he built the statue, remember, completely of gold. What was he trying to say? My kingdom will never end. My kingdom will never come to a close. Uh, and he required everyone, great and small, when the instruments throughout the land were played, to fall down, remember, and worship this idol. Well, the nation of Israel was the only, and has been the only true theocracy in the history of mankind. That they were literally to be governed by God himself. And that he would speak through the high priests. Remember, they had the umim and the thumim that were on the stones, on the breastplate of the high priest, and God would raise up prophets, and God was going to speak to the children of Israel, but he was going to be their ruler. He was going to directly rule them. Remember, when we get to the end of the Judges and we get into the book of Samuel, uh, to the end of the book of 1 Samuel, and the people begin to clamor that they want a king, that they want a king, they want to be like all the other nations around them, they want to be ruled by a king. And remember, Samuel has this discussion with them. They're all bummed, uh, they're, 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 excuse me, Samuel's all bummed out, and he has this discussion with God. You know, they're rejecting me. And remember what God says to Samuel it's not you they're rejecting, Samuel. It's me they're rejecting. They're rejecting me as their king. Because up until that point in time, God was their king. God was their ruler. And he did rule them. Read the book of Judges, right? When they were disobedient, when they didn't do the things that God had told them through the law of Moses that they needed to do, he punished them. And he used other nations to do it. They went in victory and out of victory and into idolatry and out of idolatry. It was up and down. But God was ruling them until the time when they said that they wanted a king. So this is God now after the Mount Sinai, after that point in time when they've traveled into the wilderness now, the tabernacle has been built. All the things that we talked about in Leviticus have been done. And now they're in the wilderness. They're following. Remember, by day it was this cloud, this pillar of cloud that stood above the tabernacle. And by night it was a pillar of fire that stood above the tabernacle. And they would stay encamped in a certain place until that moved. And then they would move on from there. And every single day God fed them. Remember the manna from heaven? They're living this reality now. This is what's going on. This is the context that we find ourselves in as God now speaks to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. Now, the book of Numbers uh, in Hebrew, the book is Bamidbar, and I'm probably saying that wrong, but I'm probably going to say all of the names in here wrong. So, right, it's all Americanized for your enjoyment, right? But Bamidbar uh, is the word, the translation of the book of the, the name, the actual name of the book of Numbers. And, and you guys know that. Just, just 
speaking here as we're, we're doing a Bible study here and we're studying the Word of God, you understand that the Bible was changed to Anglo-Saxonize it, right? But King James, you know, there really was no James. He was Jacob, right? There, there, there's no Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's like, wow, that name's just like we do, man. No, no, they didn't at all, okay? You know, uh, and so King James wanted to change the name of the apostle to guess who? James, right? Plus, we don't want, a lot of those names are very Jewy. You know what I mean? They're Jewy names, all right? This is a Jewish book, Old Testament and New Testament. This is a Jewish book, okay? We're just the wild olive branches, remember, that God has allowed to have been grafted into, into the tree. Uh, the name of this book is Bemidbar, and it means literally in the wilderness. Why couldn't they just stick with that? I, when I'm studying, I'm like, well, why would you change that? You know, you know why people change it? Because we're so smart. We're so, we're so smart. It's going to make so much more sense. Uh-huh. You know, people being people. This is what people do. No, whatever. It's okay. We call it the book of numbers, right? But the midbar means in the wilderness. Now, later, when the Septuagint was written, it was translated, the book of the law was translated into Greek, and it, the name of this book was uh, Arithmoi, which is where we get the word arithmetic from. And then later, that word arithmoi was translated into Latin, into the word numeri. You see where we're getting? And then now it became the book of Numbers. If Genesis is the book of beginnings, and Exodus is the book of redemption, and Leviticus is the book of worship, Numbers is a book of warfare, a book of motion, a book of movement, and I dare say a book of rebellion, a book of rebellion. This is now all the things that God has shown Moses on Mount Sinai, all the laws and all the rules and all the ways of worship now being put into motion as they, as a people, travel through the wilderness and almost from day one, right, they begin to show their true colors, as people do, before God. They're rebels. Uh, The book of Numbers covers a period of 38 years, uh, and I guess the significance of that would be, you guys all know the children of Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years, right? Because they uh, doubted God's promise. They went into, they sent 12 spies, remember, into the land, the promised land, and they came back, and 10 of them were freaked out saying, there's giants in the land, and we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We can never defeat this land. Only two, only two brought back a good report. Remember what they said? They are bread for us. You know, I love that. I love that. Joshua and Caleb, the only two that said, God has given us this land. Let's go up there and let's take it. But of course, the people listened to the 10 spies who gave a bad report and they doubted and didn't believe. And so remember God's punishment upon them. God's judgment was nobody from your generation is going to enter into the promised land. But your children, of whom you said they will be destroyed in our sight, they will enter into the promised land. But none of you will. Now, in the book of Romans, if you want to turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 15, I'm putting off reading the actual chapter of one of Numbers as long as... No, I'm kidding. But uh, the book of Romans, chapter 15, and verse 4 says this, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. 1 Corinthians, if you want to flip there, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 
1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 1 through 12 says this. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 12. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into uh, Moses in the cloud and the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. I want to stop there for just a moment. Remember, now here what Paul's talking about, as he writes to the church in Corinth, is I want you to remember, I want you to understand something in your minds, church, that our fathers, our spiritual fathers, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the nation of Israel, they all saw the blessings of God. That's what Paul's talking about here. They all saw the blessings of, of God. They all passed through the cloud. They passed through the sea. Talking about, of course, the pillar of the cloud, the pillar of, of clouds that, remember, separated them from the Egyptians before they crossed the Red Sea, and at night it was fire, that later on would be the same pillar that stood above the tabernacle. They all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Remember when the rock, God told Moses when the children of Israel were thirsty to speak to the rock. Well, the first time he told them to strike the rock, remember? to strike the rock, and water would come from the rock, and it would be enough water to, 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 for everybody in the nation to drink. So, so my question, how big was that rock? What did the, what, how much water? You, you understand? You, you, when you see it in your mind, you see it's like, like when you're hiking up through Watkins Glen, you're like, oh, look, a mountain stream. Let's drink from you know, the little, the, it's like a little, It wasn't that. Th- this would have had to have been some massive, like the side of a mountain opened up and created a clear pool of fresh water for the whole nation to drink from. Because we're going to talk about and get into the sheer size of this group of people in a minute. So when we're talking about that rock, and spiritually, remember Jesus also compared himself to the manna. He said, I am the manna, the bread come down from heaven. And of course, he was speaking spiritually to them. That bread, it was a representation of me. It was a representation of what I was going to be to you. I am the bread come down from heaven. I'm all the sustenance you need, is what Jesus was saying. Forget about the religion and forget about all the traditions and all the things. What you need is me. I'm the bread of your life. And moreover, the Bible says that Jesus was the rock that followed him around in the dead. Jesus didn't really turn into a rock, okay? This, again, was a spiritually significant thing that God brought forth water from the rock Jesus is our rock. He is our foundation. He is the cornerstone. And remember what he said to the woman at the well. If you would have known of whom you were speaking to, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water, and you'd never thirst again. Remember? So all of this is spiritually significant. Paul is saying these, our forefathers saw all of this stuff. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted and do not become idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did and in one day 23,000 fell. That's what slain in the spirit really means. Okay, it's, you know what? We are blessed, church. We are so blessed. And, and you read the Old Testament sometimes, like, man, I'd love to see some miracles like that. 
you know, that's you, okay? God, that's them. I didn't say that. That's that, you know. Because God dealt with his people in a very severe way. When they disobeyed him, when they rebelled against him, he dealt with them in a very serious way. I am so glad we live under the, under the Spirit in the age of grace, right? Because of Christ's uh, sacrifice. Uh, let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Upon whom? Us. Upon whom the end of the age has come. We are living in the last days. We are the church. And the things that God allowed to happen to the children of Israel, the things that he showed them, the things that he taught them, the places that he took him, and the way that he dealt with them were lessons for us. Not so that we could just throw up our hands and say, hey, we live in the age of grace. Hey, we live. God understands. God understands. God understands. No, God's will for our lives is that we live them according to his word and according to his will. Make no mistake about it. God will not be mocked, right? A man reaps what he sows, all right? And so we have forgiveness. And every single day we can get up in the morning, no matter how bad we blew it yesterday, and thank God, through Jesus Christ, we're forgiven today, and it's a fresh start. That's the greatest news there is, man. That's the greatest news there is. But God wants us to get up and press forward in the faith. We have a great responsibility. We live at the end of the age. You guys know what's next, right? This is why when we watch Facebook and news and stuff like that, and we see everything that's happening, all the freakouts everywhere all throughout the planet, we, don't, we, we shouldn't get dismayed and get freaked out and worried. Because everything that's happening, God knew about before time began, and he chose to put you and I in this time and in this place. And along with the great blessings that we have to be in this time and in this place, comes a re- that's like from Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. But it's true. I should say, though, not with great power, because I'd have little of that, but with great blessing comes great responsibility. And so God has put us in that time, in this place. And as we read through the Old Testament, we should be seeing how God dealt with the children of Israel and see what they went through and say, oh, Lord, oh, I see so much in me. I see so much of that in me. I'm a rebel too. Lord, help me by the power of your Holy Spirit to do better, to live my life, to offer my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable for you, which what the Bible says is just our reasonable service. There ain't no extra credit. For offering your body as a living sacrifice, kid. That's just your reasonable service, right? Paul talks about, listen, not many of you suffer to the point of bloodshed, okay? Like, we're doing okay. But my life belongs to the Lord. My family belongs to the Lord. The things that God's blessed me with belong to the Lord. We always pray about this during communion or offering time. Everything in my life is something that's just there and exists to either glorify and honor God or to be given back to him in his service or because he asks it of me. And the Old Testament saints and the Old Testament children of Israel are an example for us. Now, 14 times in chapter 1, God says, number those who are of the age to go to war. 
Verse 2 of chapter 1, take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel. You and Aaron shall number them by their armies. And with you there shall be a man from every tribe, each one the head of his father's house. These are the names of the men who shall stand with you from Reuben... Elizor, the son of Shador, from Simeon, Shelemuel, the son of Zerishadai, from Judah, Nashon, the son of Amminadab, from Issachar, Nathaniel, the son of Zuar, from Zebulun, Eliab, the son of Helon, from the sons of Joseph, from Ephraim, Elishama, the son of Amahud, from Manasseh, Gamaliel, the son of Peduzer, from Benjamin, Abadam, the son of Gibbet. Gideonai, from Dan, Ahiezer, the son of Amishadai, from Asher, Pagiel, the son of Okron, from Gad, Eliasaph, the son of Duel, from Naphtali, Ahira, the son of Enon. These were chosen from the congregation, leaders of their father's tribes, heads of the divisions of Israel. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's not as easy as it sounds. <laughs> 14 times, though, in chapter 1, God says, number those who are of the age to go to war. Now, now, interestingly enough, we see that it's from the age of 20, and there's no cutoff age. I like that. I love that, that there's no cutoff age. If you're able to go to war, if you're able to fight, you, you, are you still able to fight? Are you still able to go to war? 20 years old, they, they, were, they were ready to go to war. Interesting. But these are the people that are numbered. Now, I just want to go over the numbers. When we go through the numbers... Uh, in the next few verses, we're going to find that there were 603,550 fighting men in total. Half, over half a million just in fighting men. Now, when you add in their children, right? And it wasn't just like, well, let's just have two in those days, okay? Let's just have one. You know what? We don't feel like having children. It, no, no, no. No, it was, let's have as many as there are to have, right? You just keep having kids. That's how it was back in those days. So think of the children, the wives, the Levites, who are not counted in this census. The entire tribe of Levi is not counted in this census, including their wives and children, and then the very elderly. Most scholars agree that we are looking at a camp of between 2 and 3 million people. Somewhere between two and three. We got over half a million just in fighting men. Now tell me again, how big was that rock? Right? What it took, what it looked like, what the encampment was like. Unbelievable. A breathtaking number. To put that in perspective for us, the four counties that make up what we call the Syracuse area, Onondaga, Oswego, Oneida, and Madison County, have a population of approximately 740,000 people. Our four counties that surround the Syracuse area, hi, Angel. This is the cutest. <laughs> I'm sorry, I did stop service in the middle of it, but she's like the living Wendy Lou who come to life, and she doesn't like me at all, by the way. Um, all four of the counties that make up what we call the Syracuse area um, Onondaga, Oswego, Oneida, and Madison, 740,000 people approximately. Imagine a number triple that 
triple that amount of people. So most of you, if not all of you, come from somewhere in this area within these four counties. Imagine all of us from the four counties times three living in the same place at the same... Have you been to the mall? Have you been there? It's a den of iniquities, in my humble opinion. Have you been to the fair? Right? Okay, okay, now listen to me. Triple the size of our four counties, all at the fair, at the same time. You see why God opened the earth up? You see why he sent the fiery serpents? That makes perfect sense. Now, I completely understand. It's a good thing I don't have the power, you know what I mean? I'd be like, oh, Lord, just open up that causeway right there. We're, that whole group of people I think we could do without, you know, right there. But imagine, just imagine the sheer size uh, of, this, of this group of people. Now, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Deuteronomy chapter 1, uh, and verses 2 to 3, if you want to turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Listen to what... Listen to what the Lord says to Moses. It is 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel. And then, of course, God directs Moses to send them on into the promised land under Joshua's leadership. But notice what God says first. It is an 11 days journey from Horeb, by the way of Mount Seir, that's Mount Sinai, to Kadesh Barnea, that's the, that's the edge of the promised land. It's an 11-day journey. 40 years. Why do you think God points this out? It's an 11 days journey, y'all. 11 days journey. 40 years. It took the children of Israel to get there. To me, if you're taking notes, <laughs> this is God showing his sense of humor, perhaps, or maybe just making a point for you and I, back to Romans 15:4, that these things were written for our admonition, for our understanding. I would have had him there, God says, in 11 days. I could have had him there in 11 days, give or take, 40 years. You know why? They did it their way, right? You know, you know the Frank Sinatra song? I'm sorry, I just butchered it. I apologize from the bottom of my heart. You know, it, it, I did it my... And as you sing that song, oh, yeah, yeah. No, 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 that's not good. That's not going to be good for anybody. That's not going to be good for anybody. God has not called you and I to do it our way. God has called us to serve him and to do it his way. His way. It's not a suggestion. Now, listen, God is so understanding... He's so loving. He's so gracious. I'm so glad he still doesn't send fire. I, first of all, I hate snakes, okay? Just, I would die before they even bit me. I, I, I kid you not. I see a, a horde of snakes coming across the field for me. Uh, the sword's in my gut before they get to me. I'll, t I'll take it. No, thank you. But I get it. I understand it. My God has never stung me with a snake or opened up the earth. You know, you ever have in those times of prayer when you've blown it big time? And, you know, those hours of self-loathing at 2, 3 in the morning, or whether it's, a, for me, a Sunday morning before church, I'm so aware. I'm so aware of how unworthy I am. 
of how wicked my heart is. And God sees every last disgusting detail of my heart and loves me just the same and accepts me and receives me as a son and has sealed me with the Spirit for the day of redemption. Wow, 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 wow. Amazing how that is. But God wants us to do it His way. You ever wonder uh, when, you're, when you're having your time alone with the Lord or when you're just thinking alone with your thoughts, where would I be? What would I be doing? And there's a couple of different ways. Mom's shaking her head, which tells me that she's thinking it without Jesus, right? You, you think of that. See, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the faith. I already know where I'd be without Jesus. It, j- d- jail or dead, They're one of the two, right? I'd be in a bad way. There's no way. But I always think to myself, having grown up in the church, having known about these things since the time I was a little guy, where would I be if I had always done things God's way? If I'd always done things God's way, what might have been in in, in my life? Now, this is not for us to, you know, I blew it, I ruined everything. I mean, if I had done everything the right way, I maybe wouldn't be married to Nikki and have my family and all of these things. You know, I have no, literally no idea, but I often wonder, God, what, what could have been? What might you have, have done? Now, I, in my finite understanding and in my wicked mind, I think, well, if I hadn't screwed up, I never would have met Nikki, so I'm glad I screwed up. And I think God's a little bigger than that. And if God had planned for me to meet and marry Nikki, which I'm sure that he did, that she was to be my wife, he probably could have arranged it somehow. No matter how good I was, and no matter how much I did things the right way, God probably still could have made that happen. And here's the other thing I think about. I knew her when we were kids. I didn't spend any time with her. I was way cooler, way cooler than she was. She was like three years behind. I haven't talked to her, you know what I mean? I was always trying to holler at her sister who wanted nothing to do with me whatsoever, you know. But, but I wonder how might I have been a blessing to her when we were kids even? And might God have even started that relationship from an innocent childlike standpoint? I mean, who knows? Here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. It's always better God's way. It's always better God's way. God, the things that he commands us, the things that he tells us to do in his word are not to bum you out, are not to make us miss out on good things. It's so that our lives can be blessed and can be full and have as little baggage as possible. Man, it gets heavy. You, you watch, who watched the Christmas Carol so far? You have, Cratchit, or no, Marley, Jacob Marley walking around with the chains and the money boxes. You know what I'm saying? You ever feel like that? You know, like, oh my goodness, because the wonderful thing about God is he redeems us and he forgives us, but those things that we reap, uh, so we also reap, right? God does not completely deliver us from the consequences of our actions, does he? And I tell my kids all the time, I want you to have as little baggage as possible in your life. I want you to go into your married life with your husband or with your wife completely unshackled and unfettered from any of the garbage that follows wrong relationships. Oh, if I could go back in time. Oh, if I could do it over again and keep myself only for my wife. And for you youngsters, you you don't even know the half, right? You don't even know the half. God's way, God's plan is always better. But grace. 
Like every time you think about grace, it shouldn't be like, oh, that's right, grace, grace, grace. No, it should be like, grace. Oh, thank God for, for his grace. It's so wonderful to have. Uh. So, uh, let's see. Well, I was going to, in light of all that I just said, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 to 14, forgetting those things that are behind, <laughs> okay, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. In other words, none of that matters, right? Yesterday doesn't matter. Right now matters. Right now matters. Yesterday is meaningless Right now matters. What will we choose to do today? Who will we choose to be today? Or more appropriately, whose will we choose to be today? That's the question. That's the great blessing and honor of being a Christian. That every single day I can start out fresh like I'm just coming out of Egypt. There is no golden calf, though there's been some. There is no eating and drink, lots of that, and rising up to play. There is, there is none of that. There's today in Jesus Christ. It's the greatest thing. It's the greatest thing of all time. Um, during their bondage, <laughs> when things were at their worst and when they were crying out to God for deliverance, the Israelites were prolific in their population growth. They doubled in size every 20 years. <laughs> From one family, they doubled in size every 20 years. To so the time when they left Egypt... They went out as this giant multitude of people. So, here are the numbers by the tribe as we get down into it. And I'm going to just give you the facts here. Um, I'll, I'll, let's see. If we start with verse uh, 18, they assembled all the congregations together on the first day of the second month, and they recited their ancestry by families, by their father's houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, each one individually. I bet that took a minute. As the Lord commanded Moses, so he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai. Now the children of Reuben, Israel's oldest son, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Reuben, were 46,000. 500. This is, and this is how it's going to be for each of the tribes, okay? So I'm just going to give you the facts and figures right now. Reuben, the head of the house of the tribe of Reuben was Elizor, and his name means God is a rock. 46,500 people. The tribe of Simeon, the head of that tribe, his name was Shalumuel, and his name means friend of God or God is salvation. And their tribe had 59,300 people. From the tribe of Judah, the head of that family was Nashon. And his name, interestingly, means a diviner, or more appropriately, one who interprets. One who interprets. And their tribe, 74,600 fighting men. The tribe of Issachar, uh, Nethanel. And his name means God the giver. From 54, uh, excuse me, God the giver, and their tribe had 54,400 fighting men. From the tribe of Zebulun, Eliab, and his name means God is father. And from their tribe, 57,400. From the tribe of Ephraim, Elishama, his name means God hears. And their tribe had 40,500 uh, fighting men. From the tribe of Manasseh, 
Gamaliel, the head of the family, and his name means God rewards. Uh, And from their tribe, 32,200 fighting men. From the tribe of Benjamin, Abidan, and his name means my father is judge. And from their tribe, 35,400 fighting men. From the tribe of Dan, Ahizer or Ahiizer or whatever, (laughs) his name means my brother is help. And from their tribe, 62,700 fighting men. From the tribe of Asher, Pagiel, his name means my prayer to God. And from that tribe, 41,500 fighting men. From the tribe of Gad, Eliasaph, his name means my God gathers. And from the tribe of uh, Gab, 40, Gad, rather, 45,650 fighting men. From the tribe of Naphtali, Ahira, the head of the house, and his name means my brother, my brother is my friend. Uh, and from the tribe of Naphtali, 53,400 fighting men. And then, of course, the tribe of Levi was not numbered. So we have a nation that represents God and his ways even in their names. You see the two aspects? Of the, of, the, of the definitions behind the names, what the names mean, relationship with God, relationship with my brother. God is my God, my brother is my friend. I love that. Even in the names of the heads of the houses of the tribes of Israel, God was written there. His ways were written there. They were to be a light to the whole world. God's instrument of judgment, but also evangelism everywhere they went. That's what God had intended for them to be. If they would have done things God's way, if they would have went God's way and done everything the way he had told them to do, God's plan for them was to be an instrument of judgment, but also of evangelism. In the book of Exodus chapter 6 and verse 7, God makes this amazing statement. He says, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. And that meant everything. But by the time we get to the end of Numbers, their population actually decreases. Uh, It goes from 603,550 to 601,730. And here's the amazing part of that figure. The population declines a little bit. Nothing, Nothing dramatic. The population declines a little bit. But not one person of the entire nation of between two and three million people who was delivered by God personally from bondage in Egypt saw the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. Not even Moses. Not even Moses. And remember, he didn't go in because he died of old age before he went in, remember? God said, Moses, remember the second time when God tells him, he tells him the first time, remember Jesus is the representation of the rock, And Moses tells him to strike the rock and water will come from it. Jesus was struck for us. And because he was struck for us, that living water flowed into our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. The second time, remember, God tells Moses, speak to the rock. But Moses is angry because of the children of Israel's disbelief and their rebellion. And so in a fit of rage, he strikes the rock again with his staff. And God says, you are now disqualified from going into the promised land because you did not honor my name. Why? Why was that so important? Why was it such a big deal? Because God was showing us very clearly in the scriptures that Jesus was only struck once. 
And now we have but to ask. We have but to ask for the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts, to fill our lives, to refresh us. He never need be struck and never will be struck again. And because Moses was disobedient to what God was trying to show you and I, he had to be disciplined for it. And so God said, you're not going to... Can you imagine poor Mo? He's been like, like hardcore from Sinai to the, to, to the, through the will, everything, doing God's will, patient with his people. He's put up with so much. He freaks out one time. He freaks out one time. God says, my name will be hallowed. Moses, I love you. Moses was God's friend. Remember, he says, I speak to Moses as a man speaks to his friend face to face. He loved Moses, but Moses, my name has to be hallowed. And you disobeyed and misrepresented my voice to the people, and you can't go into the promised land. Now, that's a scary verse for a preacher. I'll tell you that right now. You misrepresented my word, and you can't go into the promised land. <laughs> Yikes. That's why we only we try to stick with the Bible, you know, here. You know what I'm saying? You know, get to the gates and be like, uh, listen, <laughs> I've got some bad news. You know, God's, God's, God's bigger than that. His grace is abundant and amazing, but it, it, it definitely, it definitely makes, makes you think about that. Um, okay, it's 10.04. Let me just, let me just get to uh, verse 47. We're going to read down through the end, okay? But the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe, for the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take a census of them among the children of Israel, but you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all its furnishings, and over all things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall set it up. The outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Pretty adamant. Levites only. The children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own standard, according to their families. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. The Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of testimony. Thus the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they did. Just quickly, I love the fact that the Levites were not to be numbered. I love that there was no census to be taken because when it comes to the things of God and the things that we do in his service, there ought to be no accounting or no reckoning for amounts or how much. It's just his. Remember back in the old days at Midler Ave Wesleyan Church and we, I think, I don't think we were required. We had that plaque. You ever see that plaque? The hymn numbers, the hymn pages and the number of the hymns we're singing today. And then it was attendance last week. You filthy, rotten sinners. Dirty, and, and then the offering from last week. This is how much was given. You cheap, skate, no good. You know what I mean? And I, I, I remember back, I remember back and said, you know, I'm half high. You know what I mean? Sitting in the back in sweatpants going, that seems stupid to me. You know what I mean? Why does God care about that? That's not for God. That's for the people, man. That's why I'm a rebel. It's not, it's their fault. <laughs> you know what I mean? But seriously, when it comes to our service to God, when it comes to worshiping God, not that we should be flippant about it. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But it just belongs to God, man. You'll be able to want to make sure, we make sure, just give to God. Just love God and give of all that you have and of yourself wholeheartedly without ever holding anything back. That's what God wants. That's it. 
I love it that there was no numbering going on there. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we pray and ask that you would continue to, to, to uh, help us get through this book, Father, to instruct us and teach us from it. Lord, we pray that we would be able to pull out just gems uh, after gems after gems, Lord, of truth and knowledge and understanding and, and the picture of Jesus Christ that you were painting for the children of Israel way back then, Father, that we would see it clearly and be blessed by it and built up and edified by it, Lord, and it would strengthen our faith and our understanding of your word. In Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with all my brothers and sisters this week. As they head into the holiday, Lord, I pray that you would watch over them and protect them. I pray, Father, that you would be with them wherever they go, Lord, and that you would help them to be a light that shines in the darkness, Lord, that they would be salt, uh, Lord, and everything that they say to their relatives and to their friends, Lord, would be seasoned with grace and mercy and love and also with truth, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Thanks, everybody. Merry Christmas.